two senior Hamas officials killed in Israeli airstrikes, one of them responsible for financing terrorism. We have the latest on the war. President Biden speaking soon about the 11 Americans killed in Israel. What's next in the U.S. response as families of the missing call on Biden to take action? Israel is fighting on two fronts with terrorist group Hezbollah testing the country's defenses in the north. How does Hezbollah relate to Hamas? All living former U.S. presidents have now commented on the war in Israel. We bring you what they say about the conflict. Will the war in Israel pressure House Republicans to unify and quickly choose a speaker? We'll tell you what they're saying on Capitol Hill. A driver plows into the Chinese consulate in San Francisco in his car. What happened next? We have the story coming up. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news. Hamas terrorists fired another round of rockets from Gaza to southern Israel this morning. No injuries have yet been reported by the Israeli media. The Israeli Defense Forces said counterstrikes killed two senior Hamas officials. One was the group's finance minister who managed funding for terrorism inside and outside the Gaza Strip. The other is a senior member of Hamas's political bureau and internal relations office. Israel also said this morning that it had regained control of the Gaza border. Hamas says it will kill hostages if Israel continues to attack Gaza. The ongoing conflict has killed up to 1,000 Israelis and at least 800 in Palestine, according to authorities. Thousands more were injured. 11 American citizens were confirmed dead. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken canceled plans to visit the Middle East later this month, putting on hold stops in Israel, Saudi Arabia, and Morocco. President Biden will soon address the death of 11 Americans in Israel. That's as the administration faces calls from families of missing U.S. citizens to take action. Joining us now live is NTD's White House correspondent, Iris Tao. Good afternoon, Iris. What's the White House doing as conflicts in Israel continue? Good afternoon to you, Chris. So President Biden, who yesterday in a statement confirmed the death of 11 Americans in Israel, is scheduled to speak at 1 p.m. Eastern time about the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. And the White House says President Biden, as well as Vice President Kamala Harris, would speak to so we speak to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu this morning about the ongoing war as well as to reaffirm U.S. support for Israel. And thus, as President Biden yesterday also said that there are Americans who are still unaccounted for in Israel and that it is likely that some of them have been taken hostage by Hamas. And of course, we know that Hamas is threatening to execute hostages as Israel is striking the Gaza Strip. And of course, we are hearing families of missing Americans in in Israel calling on the Biden administration to take action. Here's what some of them said at a press conference in Tel Aviv on Monday. Let's take a look. And they are responsible to bring the U.S. citizens back home safe and sound. We expect nothing less from the U.S. administration and from President Biden and Vice and Secretary Ted Blinken. It's heartbreaking to hear their voices. So as, as Israel continues to bombard Gaza with airstrikes, 
What is the U.S. saying about potential civilian casualties there? You're right, Chris. So Israel has launched a wave of airstrikes targeting the Gaza Strip. It also ordered a complete siege of the region, basically cutting off all supplies of water, food or electricity. But the U.S., the White House, is saying that it does not want to see any innocent civilian lives killed anywhere, including in Gaza and in Israel. And of course, the National Security Spokesperson John Kirby also said that the first tranche of military assistance to Israel is currently on its way. And we do expect to hear more about that from President Biden in his upcoming speech. Chris. All right. Thank you very much, Iris. Concerns over a two-front war for Israel are on the rise. Iran-backed Hezbollah crossed the Lebanon-Israel border to the north and staged an attack on Israel. One Israeli officer was killed and more soldiers wounded in the cross-border raid on Sunday. Israel responded with shelling into southern Lebanon, killing at least three Hezbollah members yesterday. Hezbollah used missiles and mortars to target two Israeli command centers in northern Israel, making direct hits, according to state media. Hezbollah said the attacks were in response to its fighters killed by Israel, Israel shelling. Hezbollah and Hamas share some common goals. However, there are significant differences between the two. Both Hezbollah and Hamas are considered terrorist organizations by the United States. They share the same goal of destroying the Israeli nation. Hamas's main objective is to create a Palestinian nation. Hezbollah, meanwhile, looks to establish Iranian interests. Both groups also receive funding and training from Iran. However, the two belong to different sections of Islam. Hamas is mainly Sunni, and Hezbollah is a Shiite group. A senior Hezbollah official made a statement of solidarity with Hamas after Saturday's attacks. He said Hezbollah will join Hamas in the fight if needed. Former U.S. presidents are now also commenting on the war in the Middle East. Former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama are the latest to issue statements. Colonel Darren Gobb, thank you for joining us again. Speaking about Israel's counteroffensive after the massive Hamas terror attack, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said, What we will do to our enemies in the coming days will reverberate with them for generations. What do you expect he will direct the Israeli military to do? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, this is a tough topic to be talking about for anybody, but I think. What we're going to initially have to assess and, and look out for is uh, where do they stop? Where does Israel stop? And I know they're already bombing the Gaza Strip, but w will they move in heavily with ground forces in an attempt to to clear the area and essentially maybe even just recapture and own the Gaza Strip, which is functioning as a terrorist base camp for Hamas? And that's that's my biggest question of the day, and we need to be watching that because at some point they'll stop. It's just a question of where. Now, Colonel, this isn't a normal wartime scenario. Hamas has captured uh, at least 100 hostages. How will that affect the fighting that's about to unfold in Gaza? Yeah, this is actually one of the toughest questions uh, anybody would ever have to answer. Is, you know, how do you make a value calculation for a nation based on the capture of, of 150 or so people? Well, you're dealing with a nation who is constantly on the edge of, a, of an existential crisis and just national survival, and they may very clearly and easily make the decision that 
they're not going to make their decisions based on any kind of hostage situation. And they're just going to continue to do what they have to do as a nation. That's not an easy decision. And knowing Bibi Netanyahu, I suspect he's going to put the fate of Israel first. Now, the United States is sending uh, the US, USS Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group to the Eastern Mediterranean um, in support of Israel there. How will that affect stability in the region? Well, if it's just a presence, yeah, the only effect I could see it having is it might cause some pause in other nations or groups around Israel before they would take any action. And we're looking at uh, uh, Syria, Lebanon, uh, and other locations that are near Israel, potentially as far ranging out to to Iran. And we can't forget that you know, Russia is in Syria as well. Um, that could be the limit of it. And that's hopefully the limit of it. But uh, if something escalates in Israel, then the question will be, what do we as Americans do? And frankly, that decision resides more in the Congress than in the White House. Now, what would it take to pull the U.S. into this conflict militarily, and and how likely is that to happen? Well, the likelihood of it to happen, I think, is purely dependent on how, you know, how broad the conflict goes, who else gets involved, and whether or not we can clearly define some national strategic goals in the process. And the, if we do expand our footprint in this conflict, I, I go back to reminding folks that it's not up to the president, it's not up to the Department of Defense to make that decision. You know, America's entry into war is purely dictated constitutionally through the Congress, where a deliberative body has to debate and declare war. If they don't do that, no action we take is legal in accordance with our Constitution. So that's what we have to do first. Uh, and how? what are the odds? I'll give you the lawyer answer, I guess, and go with 50-50. All right, Colonel Darren Gobb, thank you very much for your time again. Uh, thank you, and have a great morning. After the break, young Israeli reservists are heading back home from around the world to hear what they have to say about the war. And across the U.S., business leaders are showing support for Israel. That includes the likes of J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. In Tel Aviv, Israelis shared their shock and sorrow in response to Hamas's unprecedented attack. There are a lot of emotions, uh, a lot of anger, uh, a lot of shock, a lot of mourning. Um, I think I cried for the last two days and today I said, no, I have to get out a little bit uh, just to see what's going on. Um, horrible what's happening to our beautiful little country. Um, but uh, we have a strong army and we have God and everything will be good and we'll win it and, and, and hopefully we'll get out of it even, even stronger and better and uh, we have to pray and hope. They start and we're going to finish. That's it. We don't tell them to come to do that. Uh, I like crying a lot. I try to not to see the news all the time, but it's impossible. I have kids in my home, so I, I need to, to do like smile that everything okay. 
but it's a very tough uh, situation. Maybe we have to finish with the Hamas and with the Hezbollah also together, and it will take time and a big price, but maybe this will be the end of the threat on Israel. I feel like we're strong enough and we're getting support internationally and we're gonna, we're gonna beat our enemies. We're gonna fight them and they won't, they, they won't have the ability to, to do anything like that ever again. According to Israeli media, the number of Israeli casualties resulting from the attack has risen to 900, with at least 2,600 injured and dozens taken captive. Among the fatalities were 260 young individuals who were shot at a desert music festival where some hostages were also taken. A man who helped broker the Abraham Accords is now bunkering down in a bomb shelter in Israel. We speak with Aryeh Lightstone, the former special envoy. Lightstone is also the author of the book, Let My People Know, the incredible story of Middle East peace and what lies ahead. Aryeh Lightstone, thank you for joining us. The Middle East has been fraught with conflict for decades. Though we've had relatively, relative stability over the last several years, Hamas's recent terror attack on Israel has changed all that. How could this affect stability in the region as a whole? Yeah, Chris, I'd like to say it's great to be on. It's not great this is a tough time, but it's important to be on. So I'm excited to, to spend a couple minutes with you. Uh, this is the largest and worst attack that Israel has had in its history. It's the largest and worst attack that the Jewish people have suffered since the Holocaust. The region has irrevocably changed. And, and, and how so? What, what are the dynamics right now? Yeah, so they'll use the code word of Hamas and Hezbollah and the Houthis, but that's I mean, it's just Iran. Iran is the largest state sponsor of terror. Uh, they funded, coordinated, and helped plan this attack. And they are funding, coordinating, and helping Hezbollah in the north with uh, Lebanon. They've been doing this more or less nonstop, with the exception of the Trump years, for the last 15 years. Now, you actually helped put together the Abraham Accords, taking steps towards normalization of relations between Israel and four Arab countries, including Saudi Arabia. How might what's unfolding in Israel affect the progress you helped to create? I'd love to tell you Saudi Arabia was included. I think the next big linchpin would be Saudi Arabia. And one of the thoughts is, is that Hamas is launching out now or lashing out now in order to prevent Saudi Arabia from normalizing with Israel. And the Abraham Accords came about through a very simple recipe, make Israel stronger and other countries will make peace with it. What we're seeing is the exact opposite. We have created a vacuum, a distance, daylight, which was Obama's doctrine that Biden has followed in between the United States of America and Israel. And peace doesn't follow that, death and destruction follows that. So we saw four countries make peace with Israel under the Trump administration. And we're now seeing distancing from that because Israel is weaker with the distance from the United States. Now, Aryeh, you and your family are currently living out of a bomb shelter there in Israel. After the Abraham Accords were signed and um, with years of relative peace and stability, like we're saying, did you ever expect to find yourself in this position? And what has this been like for you? I mean, as someone who has tried so hard to bring peace to that region? Well, it's... It, it, very hard as a father to see your wife and your children in a bomb shelter, and there's almost nothing you can do other than to huddle there to protect your family. And the number one instinct of a father is to protect his wife and his children. Uh, as somebody who had the privilege of representing the United States of America, it's incredibly powerless 
to feel that we are not in control of what's happening over here. Now, the important thing for your viewers to see is the Middle East has been filled with hatred for 75-plus years. Two years of the Abraham Accords is not going to change that. We need consistent policies for 10, 15 years to change this region to one of peace and prosperity rather than the chaos and destruction which you're seeing in real time. Now, leaders of liberal democracies everywhere are strongly condemning Hamas while Iran is commending Hamas. Do you expect these nations, which have responded with condemnation, to impose sanctions on Iran or other forms of punishment? No, I think talk is cheap. I think that they're seeing what has happened today with uh, unimaginable images coming out of the southern Israel area. Uh, literally three minutes ago, uh, Israeli media reported that in one of the communities there were 40 babies murdered, several of them decapitated. Uh, I, I won't even say that again uh, in order to, to harm your listeners' uh, souls. Uh, but it is horrendous and terrible, and talk is cheap. You can condemn Hamas. If you will continue to give money to Iran and continue to allow sanctions to expire on their missiles, you are feeding the beast, and they are a beast. Wow, that is absolutely shocking. Arya Lightstone, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Across the U.S., business leaders are showing support and solidarity for Israel. This includes CEOs from J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, and others. Here with us live is NTD Business's Don Ma. Don, what are businesses saying? You know, Chris, what happened to Israel is a terrible thing, and hundreds of people have died uh, from both sides. And business leaders and CEOs are recognizing this. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon said that the bank stands with Israel and is also instructing employees there uh, to work remotely for the foreseeable future. Uh, this is according to CNN sources. He's calling what happened a terrible tragedy. and. And it really is, Chris. He, he says, we stand with our employees, their families, and the people of Israel. Uh, and as well, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, same thing here. It told its employees located in Israel to stay at home at this time. It's ex expressing solidarity, so solidarity. It says it's thinking of the families in the face of this conflict, Chris. How are businesses with a presence in Israel doing right now? Well, of course, Chris, it comes as no surprise that a number of global companies have temporarily shut some operations in Israel. And as I mentioned earlier, they're also also asking employees to work from home. And let me just give you some examples here. There are actually a lot of companies that are doing this right now. And there's a wide ranging of sectors that are impacted as well, like travel, oil, uh, banks, tech, consumer and retail and more. For travel, uh, Delta Airlines decided to cancel Delta-operated Tel Aviv flights through October 31st, and I've already mentioned banks. Now, for retail, uh, clothing company H&M said its local franchise partner has temporarily closed all stores in Israel. And as for oil, Chevron, the number two U.S. oil and gas producer, has been instructed uh, by Israel's energy ministry to shut down the Tamar natural gas field off the country's northern coast. Speaking of oil, Don, how much have oil prices risen in light of this conflict? Sure. So oil prices surged 4% on Monday, and Brent WTI went up more than 350 on Monday. And Chris, what it really comes down to here 
uh, whether is whether major oil producing countries will become involved in this conflict. You know, when we're talking about oil prices and supply risks, uh, and I think one potential risk here for oil prices is how tensions between Israel and Iran plays out, because analysts are saying that if a clear link to Iran is found to the attack in Israel. You know, some kind of intervention by the United States cannot be ruled out if that's the case. And that would likely entail in something like tighter enforcement of existing sanctions on Iran's oil exports. And, you know, Chris, if Washington should decide to do that, to tighten sanctions, uh, current flows to the global oil market might be compromised. And that could push up prices even more, Chris. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you, Chris. When we come back, Senate leader Chuck Schumer says the U.S. and China are at a historic moment of choice. That's what Schumer said after meeting with China's commerce chief. We have more on the Senate delegation's visit to China. And Taiwan seeks peaceful coexistence with China. The remarks made by Taiwan's outgoing president in her last National Day speech will have the details soon when we return. Thank you for staying with us. Some lawmakers on Capitol Hill are saying the House should be focused on a unified response to the war in Israel, but instead this week will largely be spent on Republicans trying to pick a new speaker. As of this afternoon, neither of the two candidates appear to have emerged as the obvious choice. NTD's Melina Wisecup joins us from Washington with the latest. Melina, tell us more about the consensus. Is there any at this point? Hi, Chris. Good afternoon. Unfortunately, there doesn't look to be any new consensus like you just mentioned. It doesn't look like either Chairman Jim Jordan or Majority Leader Steve Scalise has emerged as the obvious winner of this speaker race. That's even after last night when Republicans held their closed-door meeting where they tried to come to more of a consensus about this. But, of course, this could change quickly, especially tonight. They have their candidate forum where both of those two candidates will be presenting their visions for the House moving forward. And, of course, there's that added pressure with that war that just broke out in Israel because right now, Chris, the House is paralyzed. They can't so much as even pass a resolution condemning the attacks in Israel. That's complicated at the very least, and at the most, it's impossible to do right now, let alone pass any sort of aid to Israel like some Republicans want to do, specifically to replenish the Iron Dome system. Here's Chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Mike McCall, along with a few other Republicans, explaining how this impacts uh, the House Speaker race, this new dynamic with the war in Israel. Take a look. But if we don't have a speaker, we can't put anything on the floor and we're paralyzed. And I think that's a strong message that regardless of your differences, we need to come together and nominate and elect the speaker so we can move forward as a country in a very dangerous time. People really want the conference to pull together so we can be successful. But our main priority is thinking about the weight of responsibility that we all share as members of Congress, um, especially now that Israel has been attacked. It hurt our country, it's hurt our Congress, it's hurt our party. We should be talking today about how we're going to help Israel. Instead, we're trying to figure out a new speaker or maybe perhaps 
perhaps still discuss. And that idea you just heard from Congressman Bacon uh, floating that idea of trying to reinstate former Speaker Kevin McCarthy to that speakership position, that's something that's been floated by a few Republicans uh, even, and that's that's making it more complicated for Republicans now to choose a new speaker. And McCarthy didn't really help the situation yesterday when he didn't rule out the possibility of him reentering that race as we approach it later this week. Yesterday he took the same demeanor that he used to take when he was sitting as speaker when he uh, condemned the attacks in Israel and of course didn't rule out re-entering the speakership race. Take a look at what McCarthy had to say. That's a decision by the conference. I'll allow the conference to make whatever decision. Whether I'm speaker or not, I'm a member of this body. I know what history has had and I can lead in any position it is. But right now, this is looking like a long shot because those eight Republicans who originally voted to oust the Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his position haven't changed course. They're sticking by their decision to do so, which means the House will likely have to choose either Chairman Jim Jordan or Majority Leader Steve Scalise as we approach this decision. Now, that's the big question. How will these eight members who voted to oust McCarthy vote this week on this uh, on this new speakership? That's one big question. Another big question here is how much weight does a Trump endorsement carry? We know that uh, the former president endorsed Chairman Jim Jordan for this position. We're also seeing some news that Trump's not really willing to get further involved here. We did see some reports floating around that he could possibly come here to Capitol Hill today to attend this candidate forum, although that, those reports have appeared to have died down and it's not looking like the former president will make his way here. But as the House is working to figure all of this out, they are holding that candidate forum tonight and then hopefully hold that internal vote tomorrow behind closed doors before they bring one individual to the public to vote on to show a sense of unity. Chris. Thank you for the update, Melina. Police in San Francisco fatally shot a driver who rammed his car into the Chinese consulate. Police say when officers arrived at the scene, they found a vehicle in the lobby of the building. Officers entered, made contact with the suspect, and an officer-involved shooting occurred. Officers rendered aid, and they had summoned paramedics from the San Francisco Fire Department. Uh, and in spite of the life-saving efforts of the police officers, firefighter paramedics, and personnel at the hospital, the suspect was later pronounced deceased uh, at the hospital. Police have not yet released the identity of the driver or determined the reason for the crash. There's no indication that anyone else was injured. The Chinese embassy said in a post that an unidentified person drove violently into the document hall of the consulate, posing a serious threat to the safety of staff and people at the scene. Now for some updates from Asia. Senate leader Chuck Schumer met with Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wentao. Wang raised concerns about U.S. trade and tech curbs on Chinese firms. Schumer told the media that the two nations are at a historic decision point. He said his delegation clarified to Chinese leader Xi Jinping that they do not think reciprocity exists. We made clear to President Xi that America wants fairness and stability. At the foundation of the relationship must be a level playing field for American businesses and workers, as well as responsible competition. We made clear we don't think that level playing field exists right now. Schumer referred to the structural inequalities and severe imbalances the U.S. faces in its trade with China. He also called on Xi to support Israel in the wake of deadly attacks by Hamas. 
The senator is leading a rare bipartisan Senate delegation to Asia, including visits to South Korea and Japan. More from Taiwan's National Day celebrations, Tsai Ing-wen welcomed a visit by former Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison. He told Tsai that he wished to support Taiwan in shoring up resilience against any security threats. His visit has angered Beijing, which regards Taiwan as its own territory, despite never having ruled the island. Beijing has also threatened to take Taiwan under its control by use of force. And now some short headlines from Europe. First, an update on an American reported jailed in Russia. U.S. reporter Evan Gershkovich filed the complaint against the extension of his pretrial detention. However, a Russian court today dismissed the complaint. This comes more than six months after his arrest on spying charges. The Wall Street Journal reporter was detained in March on charges of espionage that carry up to 20 years in prison. He denied the accusations. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says it's in Russia's interests to stoke war in the Middle East. He says that's to weaken global unity. Zelensky warned that past world wars were started after localized aggressions. Russia today denied allegations of provoking Middle East conflict, calling them false. A Russian spokesperson said the nation has strong ties to Palestine and Israel and pointed out that many Israelis are former Russian citizens. Also in Ukraine, authorities are investigating alleged violations at military recruitment offices. Officials are allegedly accepting bribes from people trying to avoid recruitment. There are currently over 260 such cases under investigation. Kyiv is aiming to improve military recruitment to support its counteroffensive. And lastly, the European Union is joining American efforts to shield industries from cheap competition. The EU is launching anti-subsidy investigations against Chinese steelmakers. The EU has asked the union to move against Chinese steel products. That's in return for avoiding the reimposition of Trump-era tariffs on EU steel and aluminum. Coming up, the Geneva Motor Show is held outside of Switzerland for the first time in history. The biggest car brands in the world show off their latest models. And a NASA spacecraft prepares for an extraordinary mission. The space agency hopes to explore a metal-rich asteroid, also known as Psyche, more shortly here on NTD News Today. back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. The Israeli Defense Forces said airstrikes killed two senior Hamas officials. One was the group's finance minister, the other a senior member of Hamas's political bureau. The death toll now tops 1,000 in Israel and over 800 in Palestine. Biden will soon speak on the deaths of 11 Americans in Israel. That's amid calls for action from the families of missing citizens. The United States' first military aid to Israel is on its way. Terrorist group Hezbollah might support Hamas in its fight against Israel. They share the same goal of destroying Israel. The main objective of Hamas is to create a Palestinian nation. Hezbollah, meanwhile, looks to establish Iranian interests. Former Presidents Barack Obama and Bill Clinton are the last living former presidents to comment on the war. 
they both voiced their support for Israel. House lawmakers are feeling a sense of urgency in finding a new speaker. Neither of the two candidates, Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, have emerged as a frontrunner. Outside Speaker Kevin McCarthy also opened the door to a return. A car rammed into the Chinese consulate in San Francisco. The driver was shot by police and later died in the hospital. Police didn't reveal the identity of the driver or the reason for the crash. The Geneva Motor Show is being held outside of Switzerland for the first time in history. Qatar is hosting the event. It features the biggest car brands in the world. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. This is the Geneva International Motor Show, but it's at a Middle Eastern venue for the first time. The prestigious auto event is being held in Qatar's capital, Doha. We came with this idea of, of building here, really from scratch, a new show that is more than a show. So that's why we came with this concept of festival. So the beating art is here in the halls, but we are present also in the desert, on the track, in the city. More than 30 of the world's biggest car brands are showcasing their latest models. Luxury manufacturer Porsche is showing off its latest concept car, the Mission X. It's our hypercar, fully electric. Um, it's not being decided whether we're gonna build it or not, um, but I think we wanna showcase here something where the future is going. Lamborghini is also bringing a concept car to the Middle East for the first time. Meet the Lanzador, one of the automaker's two cars on display. Right next to me is a concept car, which is called Lanzador, and has the Middle East and Premier here today. And this is a the first full electric car, which will come in 2028. Qatar's tourism industry sees the event as part of its effort to become the fastest growing Middle Eastern destination by 2030. Around 200,000 people are expected to visit. The show runs from October 7th through the 13th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A NASA spacecraft is gearing up for an extraordinary mission to explore the metal-rich asteroid, also known as Psyche. The launch date is in just two days. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the countdown. The Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California is preparing NASA's Psyche spacecraft. On Thursday, it will be embarking on an epic voyage to a mysterious metal-rich asteroid known as Psyche. Um, I've been working on this for nine years since it was just a concept on a whiteboard and it is amazing how close we are to actually getting to ship this. Um, it feels great to be here. NASA estimates the asteroid has a surface area of about 64,000 square miles. If it were a perfect sphere, it would have a diameter that's roughly the length of Massachusetts. What sets Psyche apart is its presumed richness in metal. All the rocky planets that we know of, uh, the Earth, Mercury, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and the Moon all have got a metal core in their center. And uh, especially for the Earth, it's the source of our magnetic field. NASA says it appears to be the nickel and iron core of an early planet, the building blocks of our solar system. Psyche gives us the opportunity to visit a core, the only way that humankind can ever do. And so we hope to learn something about what's inside the Earth and other rocky planets by visiting Psyche. But it also tells us about the processes in the, in the very beginning of the solar system. According to NASA, the Psyche spacecraft's journey will last nearly six years. It will travel 2.2 billion miles. 
Autumn is officially here, and with the fall and winter holidays quickly approaching, it's a good time to strengthen your savings and create a year-end financial plan. Three experts weigh in and offer their tips to start planning ahead now. Let's take a look. The countdown to Halloween, Thanksgiving and winter holidays is on and experts say now is a great time to tackle your expenses to avoid a financial holiday hangover. First and foremost, Christmas happens every year on the same day. So knowing that it's coming, allow yourself the time to prepare. Here are three tips to prepare and make the most of the upcoming season while keeping your budget in check. One, plan your shopping and expenses ahead. Decide in advance how much you need for this holiday season and start putting money aside now. Create a Christmas or a holiday sinking fund so that you're earmarking money that's specifically designated for the holidays and you're not forced to dip into your emergency fund. Tip number two, audit your spending. Look carefully at your typical monthly spending, checking for areas where you can cut back now to better manage any additional spending you want to do later. So you want to be able to have your ducks in a row. You want to have your finances organized, you want to have cash on hand. And tip number three, if you're planning to travel, book early and consider international destinations. With one travel expert saying some overseas flights may be cheaper than domestic options. There's just going to be a lot more deals on flights to Europe, a lot more deals on flights within Europe, deals on hotels in Europe going forward into the fall, into the winter and beyond. The U.S. Postal Service wants to raise prices once again. The proposal includes a two-cent increase for first-class mail forever stamps from 66 cents to 68 cents. There will be no change to the additional ounce stamps, which will still cost 24 cents. But prices for special services products would go up. Those include certified mail, post office box rentals fees, money order fees, and the cost to purchase insurance when mailing an item. The USPS says their prices are among the most affordable in the world. The Postal Regulatory Commission still has to review the price changes first. If approved, the new prices would take effect January 21st. That's all for today's news. I'm Chris Beers.